Week three of Advent. Can you believe it? Can you believe how quickly this season is going? Like next week is Christmas Eve. If you hadn't caught it, we are doing our normal Christmas Eve service that we usually do in the morning. We're going to do a normal 1030 service, but it's going to be dark in here and we're going to have candlelight. So it'll be like pretending it's nighttime, but then you have the whole day to do all the other things. And you don't have to go to another church service. I've heard people say that, my wife's gonna make me go to another church service. You don't have to go to another church service. The one will, will suffice. And um, invite all your friends. What? Well, maybe. <laughs> the elf on the shelf is paying attention. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Loyalty, Jan, lo- no kidding. Oh, wow. uh, there is no such thing in this church anyway. So I hope you'll join us, though. It's going to be, be wonderful. Uh, it's a shorter service than normal, and so we have some snacks for after service. It'll be time to hang out and be together since you won't have to be pressed to rush off to some dinner. Um, feel free to wear an ugly sweater, Billy. Um, I'm not, it, wasn't, it was an ugly Christmas sweater. It's just what it is, right? It's what they're called. It looks nice. It's got a tie. It's a very professional, professional day. Um, but come prepared to celebrate and remember Jesus' birth. It's going to be a lot of fun. So week three, though, we're rushing, and I, I told Heidi that, like, all this week, I'm just, like, feeling like, no, today should be Christmas Eve, not next week, um, and then we should be done, right? We should all, if any of you guys are ready for a break, that post-Christmas break, no, you're not? Wow. <laughs> I'm just ready for the break, I think, <laughs> but um, it's kind of interesting how Advent works with the, the way the, the themes lay out. The first week of Advent is about hope. And it celebrates and remembers and reminds us that we have hope even in the darkest of times. It's this really gritty thing that in the midst of pain and suffering and when like we've almost lost faith, we're just like ready to let go, hope can come and fill us because Christ fills us. And then the second week is about peace in the middle of the anxiety of the season and all the shopping and the wrapping and getting the right gifts and all those things that peace can settle in our hearts. And it's not just peace that the world gives, it's, it's peace that God brings, right? The peace that passes understanding. It's peace that brings our true humanity out. It doesn't cost us anything of our souls, but in fact fills us with life. But still, in the midst of all that, we have this turning point, which is this week, where I'm ready to move on the Advent season wants to turn our attention a little bit to this word joy. It's this, this new word where we often think it's the happy word. It's this word of, you know, great soaring love and joy and fun. And we, we, we think of the word happy, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But joy is really a word that comes when, when hope is almost lost, but it's still hanging on by a thread. When anxiety and fear are swirling all around us and that peace is filling us just this little bit and we're holding on like a candle in the dark. Joy comes in and settles in alongside of it. Joy isn't something that just happens when we're happy. Joy is actually something that comes in the darkness, in the midst of the season. And so that's why it's here in the middle and why the candle is pink. It is the turning point as we move toward love, the love that comes on Christmas. So during the Advent season, I, I said this earlier, we, we celebrate the waiting, right? We remember the waiting, and it's a three-part waiting. We, we, the waiting of the Israelites, waiting for the Messiah to come, and we, we know that happened, and so we can come into the season of waiting with a lot of hope and peace and joy because Jesus came. He came, but then he is also coming again, right? He was crucified, dead, buried, three days, rose again, walked the earth for 40 days after that and then ascended into heaven and he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. 
go and baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He gave us a great commission, and he said, I will come again. And where I am going, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. So it's this, this deep hope that we have, that Christ will come again, this deep peace, that no matter what happens, Christ will come again, this deep joy, this anticipation of Christ coming again. But then in this middle space, Christ came, Christ will come again, Christ is coming all the time to you and to me, to each one of us, meeting us in our waiting spaces. We're not living in 400 years of silence. We're not living in the new kingdom, but we're living in the kingdom of here and now. He is coming again and again and again. God is coming to us. The Messiah is being born again. He is coming in the glimmer of hope on dark nights. He is coming in peace in the middle of a storm, and he is coming in the surprise and the joy of the unexpected moments that we find ourselves in in the middle of this season. The scripture for this morning's message is from two places, and if you want to open your Bibles or your phone apps, um, you, can, you can follow along with me there, or it will be up here on the screen. The first is from Isaiah 51. We're just going to read two verses in Isaiah 51, and then we're going to read, uh, I can't do the math, four, four verses in Luke chapter 2. So Isaiah 51, 3 and 11, says this. You guys, before I say this, remember last week Heidi preached from Isaiah, and the words in Isaiah were, comfort, comfort, comfort my people. And this is what Isaiah 51 says, the Lord will surely comfort Zion, and he will look with compassion on all their ruins. He will make their desert like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. Those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing, and everlasting joy will be crowns on their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Could use a little bit of sorrow and sighing flee away. How many of you guys know people that, or maybe it's even you, you're just, just going about your day, and all of a sudden you're like, <sighs> Just the sighing, that sighing that happens. Some of you are like, oh, shoot, that's me. I do that. Other people notice it. I do it every now and then, too. And Heidi's like, what? What's wrong? I, like, I don't know. It's just a heaviness. There's a heaviness on me today. <sighs> sighing. Some sorrow and sighing will flee away. And instead, everlasting joy will be crowns upon their head. Luke chapter 2. You'll be very familiar with this if you've ever watched Charlie Brown Christmas. And there were shepherds out in the fields nearby. Fast forwarding several hundred years here to a field outside of Bethlehem. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. And here's the key verse. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the babe, baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. What is joy? I mean, this is one of the slipperiest things I think that we have to define in life. I, we, we tried doing a little video with some of the kids and some of the adults asking people what joy was. 
And I realized that my definition that we're going to talk about today was so different that I didn't want to embarrass anybody. <laughs> I didn't want anybody to go, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. That's terrible. Um, and I, and, and yeah, so, yeah, we, we're not going to show that. It, was, it wasn't very nice to you. Um, but And I, I say that because joy really isn't easy to pin down. It's not blaming anybody. Um, it is like all the other themes of Advent. It's one of those things we experience in our gut, right? It's not bad pizza or too much fried chicken. There's something that happens in here when we experience hope. There's something that happens in here when we experience real peace, not false peace, not the peace that the world gives, but the peace that God gives. And joy is the same way. Something sparks inside of our gut in a way that we just have a hard time getting words around. English doesn't work. Um, and I think that's why Pentecostals really love speaking in tongues. I think, like, we don't know what to say, but here it is, the Spirit speaking for us, and in some way we feel like we can actually get our brains around it. Joy appears over and over and over throughout Scripture. Uh, the Psalms, especially, like if you read the Psalms, in which I recommend the Psalms to you, I, and I will do that each, each time I can think to do it, I recommend the Psalms to you, but think about this. Like, okay, Psalm 30 says this, Weeping may last for the night, but joy shall come in the morning. Or Psalm 66, it says, shout for joy all the earth. It's not even just talking to human beings. He's like birds and flowers and trees. St. Francis loved this, this psalm. Okay, He's like, shout for joy all the earth. The whole earth sings God's worship and is filled with joy. Joy is actually commanded by God. And it comes out of us gladly when we encounter God. So it's not all that difficult. Like on one hand, God's like, shout for joy, all the earth. But you're like, I'm in the presence of God. How could I not? You know, <laughs> just comes out of me. The prophets sang of joy with longing. Isaiah 51, those who have, uh, the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. And he's saying it from this perspective of not yet experiencing it. He's still standing in the ruins. He's still in exile. He's still far from his homeland waiting for the Lord to rescue and return and to take people back to Zion with singing. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee. Isn't that great? Like It's like you're walking down the road and you get this sense that you're being followed and you look and off in the distance there comes this thing and you just keep walking and you keep looking back and you keep, is it dangerous? Is it coming to get me? And what it is, the image is, it's, it's uh, not sorrow, it's, it, is, it is gladness and joy. There's the word I was trying to get out. I was like, it got stuck, it got stuck. It, gladness and joy is coming after you and it will overtake you. And when it does, that's when the sorrow and the sighing are going to run away. Paul, in the book of Galatians, he says, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead too far. The angels, we just talked about, read about this. The angels, they announced the birth of Jesus, and they said to very simple shepherds, the lowliest of the low, the poorest of the poor in this region, they were just caretakers of the sheep. They weren't even the owners. The angels said to them that they brought good news of great joy. They didn't bring a gift. They didn't, you know, they weren't raising their circumstances or the situations. They weren't making them rich and wealthy. They said that the sign that God loves you, that God is pleased with you, that God is among you, is this, that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying where? In an animal trough where the sheep would be fed. It's a sign to them, and it would bring them great joy because they're included in the story. From the very beginning, the good news that God is rescuing us has been tied to joy, which really amazes me because sometimes Christians are the least joyful people we know. 
Sometimes we get so serious, right? We are so serious. We take ourselves so seriously. We take our faith so seriously. We take our lives so seriously. And yet, if we have received the good news of Jesus, if God has come to you, if God is coming to you, then joy is going to be wrapped up in that life. It's not something we have to work up. It's something we receive. And Paul tells us in Galatians that those who have received the Holy Spirit like God not just among us, but God in us, that we will experience fruit of the Spirit. One of my favorite verses, I quote it all the time. And think about what's in those fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience. But come back, love, joy. Joy is the second fruit. Everybody who receives the Holy Spirit will have the fruit of joy coming up in their life. It's like Isaiah says, your head will be crowned with joy. But it seems that some of us really struggle. And if I'm honest, I struggle to receive joy. I think that we do this for two big reasons. Two reasons that we struggle to receive joy. Reason one is very, very complicated. <laughs> we confuse joy with happiness in our culture. Sometimes we struggle to define the experience of joy because our culture is telling us not to pursue joy but to pursue happiness and we've conflated the two of them uh, one of my favorite uh, bible scholars one of my favorite pastors was his name was, was eugene peterson he passed away just a few years ago he was a wonderful man he's one of those godly men that lived into his late life with no scandals no you know none of that stuff he was a good pastor a professor a theologian he wrote the message translation of the bible and it put the Bible in common vernacular, right? In, in words that we understand in our culture. That was great. Except for this one passage where if I could sit with Eugene today, I'd say, could you find a better word, please? He translated the Beatitudes out of the book of Matthew. And so we know that as blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall inherit, you know, the, you know what I'm talking about? The blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are weak. Blessed are those who suffer. The blesseds. And he translated it with the word, instead of blessed, as happy. He translated it as happy. He said, happy are those who mourn. Happy are the meek. Happy are the poor in spirit. And on the one hand, it's a good choice because it's really understandable. We don't, uh, blessed, what does that even mean, really? It's just religious, and that's what religious people say, bless you. Usually, you know, like... <laughs> I had this friend who was a plumber, okay, and he'd go into people's houses, and when they were rude and mean to him, he would say, oh, bless your heart, which, you know, was code for, you stink, you're lousy, so it's, oh, bless your heart. I mean, that's kind of how we use that. So happy is a good choice because we get it, but on the other hand, words have meaning attached to it, and when we say the word happy, we're thinking about something entirely different than blessed. Charles Schultz Snoopy fame. He gave us a good hand in this too, mixing up joy and happiness by writing a, a, po or writing a picture of Snoopy and putting below it, happiness is a warm puppy. Happiness is a warm, I mean, some of you are like, oh, warm puppy. 
I love warm puppies. They're so cute. And then we change that to, you know, happiness is a beach vacation. Happiness is, and you can, now right now you probably have something in your head. Like, I don't like puppies, but kittens are cute. Or a new Christmas present or a warm, cozy sweater. We can add all these things to it. The sentimental, happy feelings that come along with these warm, sentimental, fuzzy ideas, right? That's happiness. Then, for those of you who are in uh, my age bracket or older, will remember the 1980s. Hopefully, most of you will remember them. Um, but there's this, this guy. Get ready. I'm going to wake you up in a second because you're going to sing. He wrote this song, a little song, and he hopes that you will learn it note for note. He's there. Do you guys know what this song is? Don't worry. Be happy. So... Let's sing it all together. Ready? Here's a little song I wrote. I hope you'll learn it note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy now. Right? <laughs> this song literally commands us to have a carefree attitude in life, right? To be happy. And it's a command that we live out, like when life isn't working for us, when we hit our late 30s and early 40s and we're like, I'm not happy and things aren't, that's what we call a midlife crisis, right? I'm not measuring up to happiness. The song literally commands us to live this way and it's really interesting, in the 80s there was this thing called MTV and on MTV they actually had videos set to the music, music videos. Weird, I know. And in this music video, Bobby McFerrin is singing the song, and guess who is dancing to the song? Robin Williams, who took his life just a few years ago in depression. And you see the correlation between pursuing happiness and missing it, and anxiety and depression and fear. So much so much of our culture pushes for happiness, but it doesn't seem to change us on the inside. It's this external thing. We deeply desire to be happy, but what that means is we want the bad stuff, the hard things to fade away and, you know, let the good times roll. We want the good times to come. But coming back to Eugene Peterson, the word that he translated as happy, which would better be translated as blessed in the Beatitudes, doesn't just communicate the idea of happiness. It also communicates deep hope, profound peace, comfort, stability, and great joy. So when we come across the word blessed, we have to be really careful because we're not just thinking happy. The blessed life isn't just a happy life. The blessed life is a life that is filled with profound peace deep hope, and great joy. Biblical joy is this. It's a settled assurance and a quiet confidence. It's a pleasurable and satisfying feeling, a state of well-being and contentment. But not just all on its own. It exists there because we know that God sees the details of our lives and that somehow, someday, someway, everything is going to be all right, which another singer got right. Every little thing's going to be all right, right? But he said, don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be joyful. 
because every little thing is going to be all right. So let me say that little definition again so you can think about this. Biblical joy is a settled assurance and quiet confidence, a pleasurable and satisfied state of well-being and contentment because we know that God sees the details of our lives and everything's going to be all right. Happiness is something that comes when we get the right things, when we have the right attitude, we're with the right people, we accomplish the right things. And it does often go hand in hand with joy, but it often, happiness goes away when we lose all those right things. Happiness is actually more slippery than, ho- than joy because happiness is fleeting and changing. But biblical joy has little to nothing to do with all of those things. It's not rooted in outward circumstances. There are certainly blessings. It's good to have them. They bring happiness for sure, and they may even fuel our joy, right? Being with the right people, having the right things, doing the right, succeeding in life. That fuels our joy, but it does not bring the joy. They're not required for joy to exist. So no matter where you're at right now, at the high point in life, experiencing great, great happiness, or you're depressed and sad, joy is available to you. So that's the first reason is we mix up joy and happiness. The second reason I think that we struggle with it is because really we just miss joy altogether because joy doesn't come from those outward circumstances. Joy comes from the presence of God. The Bible teaches that the source of joy, the whole New Testament says, is Jesus. Happiness is a state of mind while joy is emotionally rooted in our faith in Christ. The good news that the angel shared It was that Emmanuel, God with us, had come. God was among us, rescuing us, restoring us. But then Jesus much later said that he had to go away so another would come, a helper, the Holy Spirit. God no longer among us, but God in us again. So now living within us is the Holy Spirit bringing a reservoir of joy. And I love, I I misspelled that word like 19 times, reservoir. Really difficult word to spell. But I couldn't come up with a better word. Like it's like a tank or a a holding cell, I don't know, a reservoir. You know what I'm talking about. It's like, a, it's like a, a, a big fuel tank inside your body. And the Holy Spirit fills that fuel tank with joy so that when times are rough, when hard things come, guess what's coming out is joy. And it's not something you fill up, right? You can't go and fill your joy tank. You can't go fill your hope tank. You can't go fill your peace tank. We have to rely on the power and the presence of God to fill it for us. Henry Nouwen said that Christian joy has little to do with the circumstances of our life and everything to do with the focus of our life. Most of us, including me, though, struggle to pay good attention to the focus of our lives, to the source of our lives. We struggle to pay attention to the presence of God within us and around us. We struggle to focus on the things we can't see, the Holy Spirit living with us. We struggle to remain in this moment. I don't know if you guys know this. I don't know if you guys realize this, but this second you have right now that you're listening to me is the most important moment of your entire life because it's the only one you have. You don't have any of the past moments. Those are memories. Those are good. You don't have any of your future moments. Nothing is guaranteed. But this moment, this is the only moment you have. And guess what? This is the only moment in which you can have God because he is present here now. Yes, he holds the future. Yes, he sees and knows those things. But 
you only can experience him right here. This is the only place you can experience God. So we struggle because we struggle, we struggle with joy because we struggle to remain in the moment. Thomas Merton said this, joy can only be found in this present moment. The only moment where we are, it's not in the past, though memory and experience inform our joy. And it's not in the future, for we do not yet hold it. Joy can only be had now. Our circumstances that we're experiencing in this moment and that we experience in each moment can serve to blind us to the presence of God in our lives. Okay, that's the bad stuff. But the good stuff is just as blinding, isn't it? Like all of our successes, the work going well, life, you know, we don't need God so much when things are going well, and so we miss God. We've practiced silence and stillness in all of our classes and in a lot of spaces in the church here, and many people struggle with silence and stillness because as soon as they're silent, all of the things that are, you know, externally or internally run around in our brains, the, the to-do to lists and the arguments we had and, and the things that we've got coming up and what I have to do after this and the dishes all in the sink and, and the, the bed that was unmade or the, the clothes that need to be washed, we could just start listing all the things. When we get silent, that's the stuff that starts popping up, the stuff we start thinking about. But the goal of silence and stillness is to come into the presence of God and be aware of God. We get so ramped up by all of the past and all of the future that we can't be with the presence of God here and now where we are blind to the hope, the peace, and the joy that Christ is bringing. And then we confuse our source of joy. We think that it's external, but really it's Christ. Christ has come. Christ has come, so there's joy on earth. Christ will come again. We have joy because we know that no matter what the circumstances are now, things will be different someday. Christ is coming in encounters with God, with outpourings with of his spirit by walking through the thin places of the world where heaven and earth aren't so far apart, where we meet each other face to face, where we celebrate with each other in joy and worship, where we encourage one another in the name of the Lord, where we do all of the one another's. Christ is present. He is in it. He is coming. And we, his followers, should be filled with great joy. Eugene Peterson, though he translated happy wrong, did say this, that joy is something that God gives. It's not something that we work up. There's this guy. I talked about him a little bit before. His name was St. Francis. Interesting fellow. He liked birds. A lot. He took Jesus literally when he said, consider the birds. He's like, okay. And he had this deep faith because he took time to consider the birds. He really reshaped his generation as he called people into the presence of God. And there's this story about St. Francis and this idea of joy. He is walking with one of his brothers. So at this point, St. Francis is the head of his, his order, right? His group of, of, of followers of God. And him and one of the other brothers are walking to a monastery. And it is miles and miles away. And it is the dead of winter, so it is cold and mucky and nasty. And they are walking together, and the brother says to him, Brother Francis, explain to me joy. Explain to me this idea of joy. And Brother Francis says, all right, if you see a brother who preaches the most wonderful sermons, and he receives great praise from all the church, that's not joy. There's no joy in that. He's like, what? And he says, if you observe a king 
who's just won a vast war, and he now has all the land and all the food and all the wealth and all the drink, and everybody come and they bring their wealth to him, and he lives in his castle, and he is safe, and he is secure, and he is filled, and he is happy. There is no joy there. I was like, what? And he says, if you stand out in a field with the sun shining on your face and the birds singing in the air and it's the most pleasant summer day and you're relishing the warmth of the sun, that's not joy either. And he goes, well, then what is joy? If joy isn't having the praises of people, if joy isn't having all the wealth of the world, if joy isn't even the simple enjoyment of good weather, what is joy? And he says, if we walk these many miles down this muddy road in the snow and in the rain and we arrive at the abbey cold hungry muddy and tired and we knock on the door and the porter comes to the door and he looks at us he says what do you want and we say to him we're your brothers we're here to come and we need food and we need shelter and we're and and this is this is francis the leader of our order and he looks at us and he says you're not from our order you're just thieves. You're liars. You just put on that robe so that people would trust you and they could give you money and you could steal it. And he slams the door in our faces. He says, and if we stand here and we pound on the door calling the porter to let us in and we stay all night out here in the cold, shivering and hungry. And in the morning he comes to the door and says, are you still here? And he says, we are your brothers. We are here to serve the Lord and to worship him with you. And he says, you're not from us. You're just, you're just hungry beggars. Stay outside. And he closes the door on our face. He says, then, then you're going to find joy. Thanks, St. Francis. Because joy comes when we experience the presence of God in the midst of the hard. Barbara Holmes, an African-American author and poet, she wrote this really long poem, and I'm only going to read part of it to you. She called it Joy Unspeakable, and it is all about the joy that her African-American brothers and sisters had found throughout the generations in the midst of their hardships and trials. And this is what she said. I'm going to read just about three verses of it. Joy unspeakable is not silent. It moans, it hums, and it bends to the rhythm of a dancing universe. It is a fractal of transcendent hope, a hologram of God's heart, a black hole of unknowing. For our free African ancestors, joy unspeakable is drum talk that invites the spirits to dance with us and tell, tell tall tales by the fire. For the desert mothers and fathers, joy unspeakable is respite from the maddening crowds and freedom from church as usual. She goes on to talk about joy unspeakable in the holds of the slave ships and in the, in the fields, that joy comes even when we aren't living free as we want to be. Joy can be found anywhere because joy comes from God. And God lives within you and within me. And so we have the reservoir of hope, but we fail to see it because we're so distracted. So today I wanna give you a moment of silence a moment of quiet, a moment for all the lists and things that you have to do to come rushing in, because it's going to, but also a moment for the Holy Spirit to speak. 
And the question I want you to ask yourself, and maybe even invite you to ask God, what is it that is stealing my joy? Not my happiness, not my contentment, but what is stealing my joy this season, this day, this week? Let's take a moment and just allow the Spirit to speak to us in silence. As I close this morning, um, I was struck by how much I've needed this Advent season, how much I've needed hope, like real hope, gritty hope, how much I've needed peace, real peace, not, not the false peace of the world, not everybody's getting along with the real, deep, godly peace, and how much I've needed his joy this season. And it occurs to me that if I, who am a professional Christian, you know, who spend my days and, and, and nights praying and reading and studying and digging into God's word and seeking his heart for his people and, and trying to live it out, then I imagine that you too must be in a place of needing hope and peace and joy. And if God's people who are filled with his Holy Spirit and whose presence rests upon them are people who are in need of hope and peace and joy, then I imagine that your next-door neighbors who uh, maybe don't believe in God or who maybe are a part of another faith or who are wandering far from God and they're just living their lives and their days and going about things without a community of people like this to support them and nurture them, I imagine that they too are in desperate need of hope and peace joy. And so I wanted to encourage you, as you reach out to receive these things, as you allow the Spirit to fill your reservoir of hope and peace and joy, to be hope and peace and joy for your next-door neighbors, to share it, to live it out, to, to be that one that says, how are you, and really mean it, right? <laughs> Not just that passing, oh, how are you? Oh, good, great. To be like, you know, no, really. <laughs> I had somebody say it. Uh, John actually said it to me the other day. He goes, no, really, how are you? <laughs> I'm like, ooh. <laughs> no, really, I'm good, I promise. Don't hurt me. There's this prayer from this guy named Ted Loader, and this is where I was going to close. And then we'll stand and sing the doxology. And I'm just going to read this prayer. And it speaks to this, our need for these things, but our, our world's need 
for these things as well. Very short. It says this. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. I would be silent now, Lord, and expectant that I may receive the gift I need so that I may become the gift that others need. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me and let's sing the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Go into the world with open eyes to see God coming to you because he has come, he is coming, and he is coming to you at all times because he loves you. And we love you too. We'll see you Christmas Eve next week, 1030, right here in your best Christmas sweaters. We'll see you then.